Hey, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. As I turn there, I'll invite you to stand with me as we receive this word together. And we'll continue on as we're talking about we are family, but what does it mean to be a part of God's family? And that's kind of what I, I, I'm uh, thinking about and praying about as we started 2022, this new year, and re-engaging where God calls us to. So we're looking at John 21, and I'll give a little bit of context here in just a moment. But as of now, let's just hear the word. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. May God add his blessing to that word. Please be seated. There are basically three stages that I can think of in the Christian life. First is the infancy stage. This is the stage when we just become a believer, we're new in the faith, we toddle in our steps toward God. 
there's baptism, there's repentance, there's a growing belief. And then there's the, the maturing stage, and this can be a number of years where we are studying the scriptures, where we're learning to pray, where we're, we're gathering together in fellowship and understand the church and understand more about our faith. And, and the reality is those maturing years really never stop from the moment we are born again to that moment we take our last breath on earth. That is obviously a continuing process. But thirdly is the ministering stage. This is a time when we begin to turn outward from ourselves to other people. Jesus said that he came into the world not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And we are never more like Jesus than when we begin to seek to meet the needs of the people around us. It is the summit of discipleship. When we quit waiting for other people to pay attention to us, to take care of us, and we begin to care more about the feelings and the needs of others, then we can know that we are really making progress as a disciple. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the full measure of perfection found in Christ. I want you to notice there that it is my job as a pastor to prepare you to help propel you to works of service. And the Bible teaches that every one of us has a spiritual gift, at least one. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and how to understand that and what that means in our life. But each of us have a gift, and to be a part of the church means that I am going to find my place where I can participate in helping to build up other people. Now, here's the thing. It is possible for us as Christians to never take our Christian walk seriously enough to get out of that infancy stage, let alone grow to the point where we are able to serve others. When I was a kid, I had several cousins that we went to church with, and I went from, uh, when we get together, we would often play as cousins church. We'd play church. We'd line up the chairs and fight over who would get to be the preacher. Someone would lead the singing. A couple of people would be, you know, a couple of the kids would be the ushers. We'd, we'd even have a leader. Back in those days, uh, a leader for Sunday school. Because back in those days, if you had a birthday that week, they'd say, who had a birthday? And you'd come up and you put a little offering in the basket. And then they'd give you a pencil. I, I, don't, I remember those days. Some of you may recall how that worked. But typically, by the sermon time especially if they weren't really good at it, and maybe I'd done that more than once, uh, we'd all kind of get bored and drift off and start playing something else. But this morning, I wonder how many of us might be guilty of simply playing church. When the sermon time comes around, we wish that, yeah, we could go off and play something else. We can get pretty good at playing church as long as the entertainment is fine. We'll, we'll kind of review the performance, but how many of us have never captured the idea that Christ 
does not call us to be spectators, but to be servants. The question then I have for you is, how am I serving? Now, in the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at these episodes of the life of Peter. You'll remember that first message uh, early in the year. We, we saw Peter on a fishing trip when Jesus called him to become a fisher of men. Now, you could think about this as the infancy stage. He was just beginning. And for three years, the next three years, he would mature as he began to, to understand what it was to be with or hang around Jesus. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus walking or walking on water and calling Peter out of the boat so that he could do the same. He was maturing. He was understanding what it is to mean to walk with Jesus. And so it's interesting to me that in this passage, we're going to discover that Peter is called to enter another stage, the ministering stage. Jesus wants him to serve others. Now, when we come to John 21, be reminded that Jesus has been resurrected. The cross is behind him. Peter's three-time denial is also past. But here we see three scenes, each involving Simon Peter, and I believe that each of them contain a lesson for us about service. So let's talk about that. In scene one, we have Peter and the disciples, and they're fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Now, let's think about that setting. At this point, Jesus has made two resurrection appearances, but for some time now, they haven't seen him. He has not appeared. And quite frankly, the disciples aren't quite sure of what to do, especially Peter. You remember, he had failed Jesus miserably in that courtyard by denying him. And so he's beginning to wonder, maybe Jesus has decided to go in a different direction. Maybe Jesus doesn't want me anymore. Peter may have sensed that, that, that the relationship was too damaged, too broken. After all, he hasn't seen Jesus for some time, and it's never been addressed. And so Peter does what Peter does. He says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. He had looked for a higher calling. He had hoped for, for a calling in his life, but he, at this point, is discouraged and frustrated. Now, let me ask you something. Do you ever feel like that? There are a few Sundays, not many, but a few that I would just as soon go fishing. There are a few Sundays that you just probably would as soon just go fishing. And some of you do that quite literally, I realize that. But there can be times in the Christian life when we get so low, when we wonder why hasn't Jesus shown up, that we just think, I'm going to chuck it all. And we are tempted at least to go back to that old way of life. And did you notice the other disciples said, we'll go with you. There's something contagious about negativity. If you want to complain about the church, you'll find others to join in with you. It's pretty easy. But here's what happens. They, they decide to go fishing. They dust off the boat. They shook out the sail. They mended a few nets, and then they pushed out to the sea. 
But you know, anytime you go back to the old way of life, you find that it's not as fulfilling as you thought it would be. And the Bible says that they toiled all night, they fished all night, they tried all night, and they caught absolutely nothing. Now, I can identify with that. That's the kind of fishing I do. Any amens here? When Caleb, uh, when each of my sons hit puberty or thereabouts, I decided that I'd take them on a trip where it would just be me and him and we could talk uh, man stuff and kind of talk about what men should know and that kind of thing. So, so when Caleb's uh, time came, my oldest son, and we went on our special trip, we, we went to a state park in southern Ohio to have a fishing trip. When uh, Caleb, so Caleb's about 12 years old. We're at the state park. We're going to go out onto this boat. And boy, we spend hours on that lake. And I'm hoping that this is going to be fun. You know, you just want it to be fun. You want it to be a memorable experience. And I guess to some degree it is because I remember it all so well. But, but I remember thinking, Lord, we've been here two hours, three hours, four hours, and we've caught nothing. The fish aren't cooperating. Again, this is just me. And, and so I'm, I'm really frustrated for Caleb's sake. I wanted this to be something special. But we finally did catch something. It wasn't Caleb that caught something. Unfortunately, it was me. And I caught this little bluegill about this, you know, about this big. And that was it. That was it for the day. And to no one's surprise, I can report that Caleb, even today, is not a fisherman. He doesn't care to go fishing ever again. But about dawn, the Bible says that Jesus was standing on the shore about 100 yards away, and the disciples, of course, don't know that it's Jesus, but he calls out to them. He says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? It's a kind of a rhetorical question in the negative, actually. You didn't catch any fish, did you? Now, when you fished all night, and you've tried and tried, what's your answer going to be when you've caught another? No, they're not happy about this. They're, they're rather frustrated, I'm sure. And to make matters worse, the word translated friends in the Greek is the word paideia, which is the word from which we get our word uh, pediatrics. So literally it means little boys, little boys, didn't catch anything, did you? So, so, so there's a little bit of a put-down almost for these professional fishermen. But Jesus says, cast out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some fish. Now, stop right there. If you've been along and you've been hearing this series of messages, you remember that Peter, three years ago, when he was called to follow Jesus... Something similar had happened, right? When Jesus called him to be a fisher of men, he had caught nothing, toiled all night, and was told to cast your net on the other side of the boat. So I'm sure at this point, a memory bell begins to ring in his mind. And three years ago, they had protested. Lord, we're fishermen. We know we've done this. Why don't you stick to what you do best? But not this time. They don't protest, and so Peter is thinking, something's up. And so they cast their nets, and when they did, sure enough, the nets quickly fill up. 
and they eventually find out that they've counted 153 fish. And I'm going to tell you, that sounds like a fisherman to me, because fishermen are always going to count their fish. They're always going to be able to tell you exactly what they have. Have you ever caught a large number of fish? Have you, has anyone in here had that experience where, where I, I, I think about when, uh, when I was a kid, we'd go up to Lake Huron, Upper Peninsula as a family. And once or twice, I remember just hitting a sweet spot in the lake when the perch were literally almost just jumping into the boat where you just couldn't bait the hook fast enough. As soon as you put the, the bait out into the water, the bobber goes under, you reel it in, and then you start over. And we'd do that for as long as we could because it was just so much fun to do. That's when fishing is fun. Well, these guys have had a moment of fun here. And, and, and they see all these fish, and it's overwhelming. And so what we see in this passage is that John, the apostle, plays Captain Obvious as he whispers to Peter, Peter, that's the Lord. And I think reality is, is that Peter had already figured that out. So Peter puts on his clothes, he dives into the water, and he swims ashore. And I think how comical that must have been. I think that must have brought a smile to Jesus. Peter, so impetuous and impulsive, he's not even going to wait for the boat to get to the shore. Now, here's the lesson, the first lesson that I want you to consider about service. Service begins with an awareness that God does not require absolute perfection for God to use us. Peter had messed up. He had sin. But Peter was still called to follow and serve Jesus. Now think about this with me. You remember the first time that Peter was called by Jesus three years ago in the same scenario? You remember what Peter said to Jesus after that experience? He was so overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He could not stand to be in the presence because he knew who he was. What has changed? Something remarkable has changed. Instead of running away from Jesus, this moment he swims toward him because he knows in the presence of Jesus there is forgiveness and freedom and grace. He wants to be wherever Jesus is. And so Peter, in a, in a moment of just uh, of, of, of impulse, just runs as fast as he can toward Jesus. That's changed. Listen, I want to tell you this morning that the devil is a master at convincing so many of us that we have to be perfect before God can use us. Some of you are here today. You've made some drastic mistakes in your past. Maybe your scandal is, is significant and you're tempted to think, hey, God could never use me. My time is over. I better always keep a low profile in the church. But let me ask you, really, is what you have done worse than what Peter did in denying the Lord publicly three times? Is it worse than the Apostle Paul 
who actively sought to kill Christians? Is it worse than the woman at the well who divorced, uh, was divorced five times and was living with someone, and yet the Lord still welcomed her service in telling others about him? My point is not to say that sin isn't serious. Don't misunderstand me. But I want you to hear that the Lord can use you. You are a vessel, and it may be a cracked one. But he can use you if it's clean. We can find forgiveness with Jesus. Scene two. They're invited to come ashore and have breakfast. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment these eight men sitting around the fire, charcoal on the edge of the sea. It was dawn, it was quiet, I suppose it was rather cool. I can imagine the smoke drifting lazily out over the sea from the fire as they smell the fresh aroma of the toasted bread and the smoked fish. Perhaps the fog is just kind of hanging low over the water. I think they probably talked some small talk and somehow they probably laughed a little about how much fun they were having bringing in those 153 fish. How, how exciting it must have been to just have that moment where they were able to just spend this time with Jesus on the sand. It surely was one of those moments that they wanted to preserve forever. But at some point, the conversation comes to an end. And Jesus' eyes meet Peter's eyes. And Jesus says, Simon, do you love me more than these? Now, some people think that maybe Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples? I mean, after all, Peter had boasted, Lord, if everyone else deserts you, I won't because I love you more. So was Jesus asking, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? But I don't think that's what Jesus was referring to. I think rather that Jesus pointed to the boats and the net and all those fish, and he was saying, Simon, do you love me more than these things? Simon, are you willing to make a choice right now Greek scholars point out that Jesus uses the word agape when he uses the word for love. That's, a, that's a, an intense, unreserved love. Pastor David preached an excellent message a few months ago about that. Peter responds with the word phileo, which is a, a friendship kind of love. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus asks a second time, do you love me? Do you really love me? You see, the Lord is doing something here, wanting Simon's heart without any reservation. And his questions are, are, are calculated, I think perfectly, to get the fishermen off the fence. And Peter comes to find out, and he, again he responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus asks the third time, do you really love me? Peter denied Jesus three times. I think there was something therapeutic about reaffirming that love for Jesus a third time. It had to be kind of painful. But once again, Peter humbly, 
but I think honestly says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But notice that each time Jesus responded, serve me. You feed my sheep. You feed my lambs. Here's the second lesson I want us to think about this morning. Service demands an honest evaluation of our priority. My friends, this morning, I I want you to know, it seems to me that there are at least two major gauges in our life that can help us determine what our priorities are, at least according to Jesus. And and I would lay, lay it out, those two gauges are this. First, I would say, where do you spend most of your money? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Your heart will always be right beside your biggest investment, what you really love. Now, we could develop that, but let let me set that aside. Secondly, I would ask or or indicate a great gauge, a a great indicator is, what do you talk about the most? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what do you talk about in your spare time? What keeps coming up in your mind and you converse about is really an indication of what's really on your heart. And what I want you to see is Jesus is saying here, I want first place. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. If you give me first place, I'll add everything else, but put me first in your life. But listen, it is so easy, and we all have done it, to allow good things to crowd him out. Family, sports, work, Retirement, a whole host of things inordinately adored can be disruptive to our relationship with him. And maybe Jesus is saying to us today, do you really love me? Do you really? Make up your mind. Don't be on the fence. Colossians 1.18 reads this way. He... Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the end and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Did you get that? He is to be supreme. He is to be first in our lives. Is he? Scene three. You love me. You can serve me. But Jesus says this to Peter in verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went whenever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this, John says, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. But then notice what Jesus says. Follow me. 
Now, Peter gets it. He knows what Jesus is saying. It's not good. It's not easy. If you know the church tradition, tradition has it that Peter would be in prison and led around by a Roman soldier in chains. We know that Peter was executed, and Peter requested that he be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be able to die the same way Jesus had died. So very quickly, here's that third lesson. Genuine service requires a willingness to sacrifice. Listen, if you're going to serve, there has to be a genuine willingness to sacrifice. Now, now here's the problem. Maybe it's obvious. <laughs> I don't like to sacrifice. I'm an American. I get to go where I want to go. I ought to be able to do what I want to do. I'm a free person. We want to always be free to do our own thing, don't we? But Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, it's going to cost you something. Now, I pray none of us will ever have to suffer to the extent of being executed upside down. But maybe our sacrifice is at a different level. Where we are willing to sacrifice our time, our treasure, our possessions. If you stand up for truth today in our culture, you're going to sacrifice your reputation. People will not like you. You will be put down and looked at as foolish. Sometimes we just have to learn to sacrifice pleasure. I was thinking this week, the Bible says that Moses chose to suffer with the people of God rather than endure the pleasures of sin for a season, Hebrews says. And listen, not everybody is willing to pay that price. Are you? Are we willing as a church to sacrifice because we love him? I was struck some time ago as I was reading about the life of a man named Robert Morrison. He was studying to be an accountant in England when God saved him and called him to the mission field. He went to China in 1804 to share the gospel. He was fervent about wanting to share the gospel in China, and the Chinese just told him to turn around and booted him out. So he went to Macau, the Portuguese colony, and waited, and then he tried to get back into China, but again, deported. He began to work there in Macau for the East India Company as an accountant, by day, for hours and hours, he would work, and then at night, he began to translate the Bible into the Chinese language. Again and again, he tried to go into China, get thrown out every time. It was frustrating, of course. He had been called to China. He wanted to go to China. He thought he had been called to minister there, share the gospel there in China, something he never got to do. And then Robert Morrison died. 
when it came time to bury him. The Chinese certainly didn't want him in one of their cemeteries. And it turns out that in Macau, it was all Roman Catholic, and the Roman Catholics didn't want some Protestant in their cemetery. But finally, the archbishop there in, in Macau relented and said, you can bury him on the outer skirts of our cemetery. So Robert Morrison lived his life, in, was rejected in life, and rejected in death. How frustrating. But do you know today where the church is growing fastest today in our world? Communist China. And do you know the Bible they use? Robert Morrison's translation. For decades and decades, for almost a, a, over a, well over a hundred years, people have been under suspicion and persecution. So they close the shutters, they, they'd remove a tile off the floor, they'd pull out a Bible, and they'd read the words of life because Robert Morrison heard Jesus say, Feed my sheep. Don't worry about the cost. Morrison, I'm sure, at times thought his life had been wasted. But it wasn't. Serving Christ does not require us to be perfect. But it does require us that we be willing to put him first. It does require us that we be willing to, to care more about the welfare of others than we do our own. And I promise you, when you do that, you will never be happier or more fulfilled. You'll find that those nets fill up, that God will always be faithful to the call because Jesus said, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. And whoever seeks to lose his life for my sake, will find it. Let me ask you, is he saying to you today, do you really love me? More than these? What are the these in your life? Jesus says to every one of us who hear his voice, then feed my sheep. Build others up. My heart, my desire as we've started into this 22 has been this, that every one of us examine how we are called to serve in this family. What am I called to do, Lord? And if you need some help there, call me, or Pastor Rich, or Pastor David, or Gina, Adrian, Adam, or one of our elders. We'll kind of work through that together. We'll, we'll discover your gift and, and your passion. But don't be willing to settle for just being an infant. God wants to take you farther and deeper because that's where the life really begins. Let's pray. Father, I, I know the hour is late. But I thank you, Father, that we've had this time together to hear your word. I thank you for the story of Peter and the amazing way that you used this man who had so many frailties and issues, and yet, God, he, he was chosen to preach that first gospel message on Pentecost. 
And Lord, the church was born. It was he who, who said that we all would be able, we should be inclined to use those, those gifts that we have. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to honestly ask that question and then respond. Do you love me? And we would say, yes, Lord, we love you. I put you first. I hold nothing back. I am yours. And Lord, when you do that, you multiply in ways that perhaps we can't even imagine an impact where our nets are full, opportunities grow. Thank you for the life of a man named Robert Morrison, whose legacy continues even this day in places like China. He thought he'd be forgotten, but we remember, Lord, that he gave his life because you called him. May we be willing to give our lives right here, right now, because you're calling us. I ask this in your holy name. Amen.